Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. We are live on WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho with co-hosts Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. All right, tonight we go inside the huddle with conductor Anthony Bereze, the recipient of the 2007 Georg Solti Foundation U.S. Award for Young Conductors. Anthony is regularly engaged by opera companies in North America and Italy as a freelance composer and conductor. We check in with him about his upcoming work with Opera Southwest. And then in Chalk Talk, a petition posted on Change.org called End Application and Audition Fees for Opera Singers has gathered over 5,300 signatures as of tonight. The document argues that young singers spend thousands of dollars on their education, perfecting their craft, many times working multiple jobs just to afford these application fees, and it's simply not right, end quote. But will this petition have any effect? Plus, in the two-minute drill, we give you our hot takes on everything else you need to know from the past week in opera land. And, of course, you can call us on air and get your voice heard, 847-866-9687. Let us know what you're thinking about. 847-866-WNUR. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score. And man, we have a full house tonight. So Oliver in a, Camacho. In about 20 minutes, mm. it'd be the perfect time for those of you who are interested in talking about young artist fee applications, young artist program application fees, to call 847-866-9687 to have your voice heard about this topic. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you're somebody who collects those audition fees and puts them in your own bank accounts. So you can go on trips to Miami. Uh, but <laughs> Why Miami? I don't know. Okay. But Because it's cold in Chicago. Yeah, right. uh, but really important uh, that we have to talk about because we are up a box score. Uh, Nathan Chen did overcome an early stumble during his free skate to win the Grand Prix, the Grand Prix <laughs> figure skating final on Friday in Vancouver, defeating rival Shoma Uno of Japan oh. to take the gold for a second consecutive year. Tobias Wright, so worried. Tobias wow. Wright, you were watching, weren't you? I was watching. That's how I spent my 30th birthday I yesterday. Can't tear him away Oliver from and I watched skating. that, and then he whacked my back. Lovely. What a what a gent he is. Matt Cummins, it's been a long time. I know, there have been like 942 political scandals since I last saw you in person, George. <laughs> that was yesterday, right? Yeah. Weston Williams, how about you, sir? Hey, I'm here too, and I, w- I was just here recently. <laughs> Gone are the days of Weston Williams doing a solo show. Now we have oh, six, man. count them, six I men. I can just sit back and let everything run we itself. We are going to get to our guest right now. Here we go. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle.
It's hard to be a sound engineer from a different room. <laughs> Anthony Berezi giggling in the background there. Welcome Gee, back to the show. Thank you. So great to have you here. You R- remind me, why was it that you ate a score? I didn't eat the whole score. I ate the first page of my uh, Tosca score. Of uh, It was the night before one of the many um, Senate uh, votes on repealing Obamacare, and everyone said, "Oh, John McCain's going to do the right thing." And I said, "You know what? John McCain never does the right thing. If he does, <laughs> if he does the right thing and votes against the stupid repeal, I will eat a page of Tosca." And of course, as we all know, he historically did the right thing and voted against the repeal. And the next day, I, I ate it. Um, on a man Facebook of your Live. word. Yeah, and What's then it, it started to go viral, and I got really scared. I just I, I removed the video. <laughs> I thought, well, he's, I'm going to be the conductor who ate the page of Tosca. How did it taste compared to, say, a Wagner awful. score it or was, a? Uh, um, I, it was the only score I've ever had, so it was. It was just. <laughs> it was really. Dip, I had to, to put little to bits of in the in water to kind of soften it. It was mm. awful. So that's actually a good lead to um, a topic I wanted to discuss with you, uh, which is your Facebook persona. Ugh. So um, I know that you kind of have a love-hate relationship with it's Facebook. It's mostly a hate-hate relationship, yeah. yeah. But I have to say that like, as a Facebook fan and somebody who manages six professional Facebook pages, oh my gosh. Uh, I, I know it's too much. Um, I like what you do on Facebook. Um, you have this Daily Rossini thing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's just it's, uh, a Daily Rossini. Um, I just... I, I read a big uh, biography about Rossini a little while ago, and Rossini is my jam. So, I tried to pick out little things that I thought were relevant to me or to the opera world, or that were just interesting in general, and just little, uh, you know, just little bits of this book, and just typing out the quotes and and putting it under hashtag Daily Rossini so that I can go back and look at it later. You couldn't on. find a Google Books version, so you could just drag, copy, and drag and paste. I, you know, I probably could. <laughs> <laughs> but then how would he learn anything? Exactly. I, 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 ever since I was a little kid, I, I liked like sort of typing things out and writing things out to kind of, you know, you know Bach would write out Vivaldi concerti and stuff to learn about them. And So I, I'm, I'm curious a little bit about the what it's like to conduct operas like Rossini, yes. considering they are not necessarily the most respected music in the music world. It's music that I love, and I'm sure. super passionate about it as well. But I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what got you into that, what what you think you would, what what sorts of things is it about that music that you want to share with everyone and really bring out? I think Rossini is, we're really seeing a renaissance of him as a, because in his time he was not known as a comic opera composer. You know, like growing up, I, everyone thought of Rossini as the composer of Barbara Seville, and then maybe, you know, Generental, and he sort of wrote this weird thing at the end of his uh, career. But then, little by little, more and more companies are doing the serious operas. And in his time, he was known much more for his serious operas than he was for his comic operas. And I just I took a class in college called Beethoven and Rossini, which seems like an odd pairing, but hmm. they were actually contemporaries. And mm-hmm. you know, but Beethoven was the most respected composer in the world, and Rossini was the most popular composer in the world, and they did meet. And I just and it was a fascinating. Uh, class because it, it just contrasted these two styles and completely in, in every way they were they were different but i really that grew- sounds like the plot of a sexy movie <laughs> two <laughs> weird composers rossini yeah. and beethoven yeah. who knew who i knew. ship it yeah and so i i started getting into his i started with william tell is how i started getting into his serious operas and then um you know when i the one of the first operas i ever saw um live was a barbara seville at the new england conservatory um and one of the first operas I ever conducted was Barbara Seville. And then 
when I became music director and then artistic director of Opera Southwest, you know, we ha we could only fit like an X, X amount of people in the pit. We could only fit about 45 people in the pit, which is perfect size for a Rossini orchestra. We don't need to make anything smaller. And our, ho and our opera house is about 640 seats, which is a, only a couple hundred shy of what like Fenice was at the time mm -hmm. in Venice. Mm -hmm. I mean, so most opera houses that Ro Rossini wrote these operas for were, were, were quite small by our standards. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool to kind of do a lot more of these works in a setting that is very similar to what Rossini was working with, with an orchestra size that is similar to what he was working with? You know, you don't need a huge, huge voice to fill our house, and that means you can have a lot younger singers, you can have people who, who, who maybe wouldn't project as much in the lyric opera, but who, who could do a real credible, credible job in our house. So, and then it just kind of took off from there, and then we... You know, when I first got to Opera Southwest, I was doing all this Rossini stuff, and people on the board got a little nervous, and they would say, you know, we don't want to be known as that Rossini company, you know, and I would just <laughs> say, You're, you guys aren't <laughs> known as anything thought. right now, so, like, <laughs> even this, this, you want to be known as the Rossini company, because that would be kind of cool, and then, and then companies are starting to do more and more. The Mets done Donna del Lago, mm -hmm. they've done Guillontel, um, they did... Uh, uh, they, they've done quite Semiramide. a. They've done Semiramide and you know, and and, um, and Santa Fe did a couple of years where they did some uh, Hermione. They did Donna del Lago. I want to hear Zelmira so bad. Zelmira is the one uh, um, Rossini opera that has never been staged in America. We have it slated really? for our fiftieth anniversary. Yeah. Huh? It's been performed in concert, but never staged. How many have you personally done of Rossini? I personally operas? done I think eight, and then I'm gonna uh, Cambio di Matrimonio will be nine. It's a fair amount of Rossini. Just talk a bit about that really quickly. Yes, Cambial di Matrimonio will be the second opera of our season at Opera Southwest. We open in um, February. It is Rossini's, it's not a, technically his first opera, but it's the first opera that he wrote that was performed. And um, it, was, it was the first one th that was performed. He was 18 when he wrote it. He wrote it for Venice, a very small house, the Teatro San Moise. And it was that, which was a house that was very experimental. They would give composers uh, their breaks and they would do, you know, kind of small one act operas. And this, we've had Rossini cycles in the past at Opera Southwest, and we're starting a Rossini cycle now of his one acts. He wrote five one act operas, one act comic operas uh, for this theater. And, and he wrote them all in 23 minutes. <laughs> well, he wrote, I mean, he wrote them pretty quick. And what we're doing now is uh, we're doing a show specifically with only the, our apprentice artists. So we have apprentice artists in to do a variety of um, things most of the time you know to do chorus to cover big roles to sing small roles we, i give them an italian class uh, but we thought wouldn't it be great if we let them do an entire opera with orchestra staging costumes the whole shebang and just even saying that this year we had way more applicants than we've ever had before so we're i'm very excited to be doing uh, to dedicate these next uh several seasons to to doing an opera of rossini with just apprentices so how are you going to sell that well, we're doing it in a smaller venue, and this uh, this place, Las Puertas, in um, in uh, Albuquerque. So I, we're just, I mean we're just selling it like as a part of our package for our season, and we, we a lot of our our season tickets are a lot of our tickets are sold as season tickets. So people are kind of buying it already. Hmm. So they're, they're they should be coming. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. So uh, in addition to being a uh, conductor of Rossini and other things. Uh, you're also a composer. Yes. Uh, how do you feel your work as a conductor influences your work as a composer and vice versa? What are the big differences? Are there any things similar that help you uh, in both fields? I mean, yeah, I think so, because I try to always approach a score, no matter what it is, from the point of view is how did the composer put this together? Mm. You know, and so if it's, a, if it's an opera, I... I 
get I, I read uh, the source material. So if you know if it's based on a, a novel or something, I read that novel, and then I'll read the libretto, and then sure. I'll sort of look at you know I, most composers, even up even up to Wagner, Verdi and Wagner specifically would do this thing where they would write what they call the skeleton score, and it was it was just from left to right, it was just just a bass line and the vocal parts, and that's it. And so if you th- even I always find it fascinating when I think that. Verdi arrived in Venice 14 days before the premiere of Rigoletto with his score. He had a bass line and the vocal parts. That is it. In 14 days, he had to orchestrate the whole thing with a pen. He had to orchestrate uh, the whole thing. Some poor guy had to copy it out. They had the orchestra parts. They had to give them to the musicians. They had to they had to they had to rehearse it. It was probably a mess. But the idea is that if you got the bass and you got the vocal parts, you have the you have the entire structure sort of musically the architecture going on and then filling in the rest is is kind of the fun part right um and so knowing that as uh, as a composer and having a, a a thorough um training in harmony and counterpoint i i like to kind of uh, it helps me sort of understand what was the composer thinking about when they put this together do you ever do the sort of the skeleton thing when you're doing composing yourself oh absolutely or? i mean everybody does yeah. you know, even if they say they don't they, they do. <laughs> <laughs> oh no lying. it goes right it. on the page exactly how it was in my mind no it so with that type of relationship with composition yeah um and history because i love that you know so much about the history of these pieces does that change your relationships with singers um, yeah, and and how so, you can yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I especially with Rossini, but even really all music until I think um, probably you know late Verdi and definitely not Strauss, but all operatic music at the time. Part of a singer's training is going back to the castrati. A part of a singer's training was not just singing. In fact, the, the singing was a relatively small part of their training. They would learn counterpoint. They would learn uh, how to improvise on a, on a on a bass. They would learn how to um, improvise uh, embellishments. All these, you know, they would stand in front of a mirror and just recite poetry. And so there was a whole aspect of things that we don't do in, you know, in music school anymore. And a big part of it was composition. And so singers were able to come up with ornaments, their own ornaments, not just oh, this is the ornament that Maria Callas did. This is the ornament that you know I heard on some recording. They would come up with their own ornaments and they would change night to night. And that was part of the excitement of live theater. It was. Like, it was when you saw your favorite singer, like what what is she gonna do tonight? Like what what is she gonna add to it? And so I really think that you know that that's for me one of the biggest things that, that has been lost over the centuries is this ability for singers to on on the spot improvise in a way that's stylistically correct and that's also right for their voice. You know, like we, we kind of look at the scores at, at sacrosanct. You can't you can't change anything. But you know, if if Mozart came to Albuquerque, New Mexico in 2014 or 2013. And, <laughs> And saw that we were doing Don Giovanni. First of all, he'd say, "Why are you doing Don Giovanni? Why, you know, <laughs> are you kidding crap. me? You know, he should do some new opera." You know, and if I calmed him down, then then he would probably write a series of ornaments for, or he'd probably write a new aria for our, you know, our, our tenor or for our, our soprano. Mm-hmm. Like, and so it, it's a lot more malleable. And I and I think, and, and I'm really much more open. I like the idea of a singer doing or, not just doing ornaments, but changing the ornaments night to night, and not even telling me what they're going to be. You and know? you're okay with that. Yeah, I mean, if they can do it well, right? You know, I mean, if they're you know if they're singing in tritones or something, you know, you know, like yeah, right. But no, I'm just saying they they do it stylistically, and if and if we've worked on, I mean, usually what happens is within rehearsal they've kind of come up with a series of them, like you know, I have my my A game and my B game, and then you know, and they kind of mix it up, and uh, and it's just much more interesting for me. And then it also encourages the orchestra to listen a lot more, like oh, she's coming down off this high note here. Oh well, this night she's doing this thing, and it's a little different. And the more you can do that, the more it becomes not about follow me as a conductor, but it becomes about 
let's have a communal experience as musicians. And if everybody's listening to each other, it's always better for us and so, for the audience. So you're talking about listening. I think one yeah. of the last things you posted on Facebook, I don't know when you went on your hiatus recently, but you posted something on I, like a month ago, I feel like. When did you leave? A couple weeks ago. Okay, cool. But it was about, it was like the thoughts of a conductor right before intermission. <laughs> and it was like. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. It was, it was the, it was the, 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 the chart. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What goes through my mind as, as someone is getting behind the beat. And, yeah. and well, I just thought it was funny because you're talking now so openly, like if they're good enough, I want them to be able to, yeah. to bring oh, their absolutely. A game on a different yeah. light. But I, I, if you want But that was about someone getting behind or, or ahead because that's having kind to of, rescue a show. Well, not even rescue, but like, you know, you're, as you're conducting, you know, I'm doing so very little. Like, you know, I'm really compared to the violins and the clarinets and the singers and even the stage manager. Like, I'm doing, I'm just sort of waving my hand. And usually a lot of times right. I'll stop and, I'll, and they'll just keep going fine. And it's like, and you really, it's so humbling to stop conducting and realize they really don't need you as much <laughs> as they think. And especially by the time you get to a performance. Like, if you're really jumping around and dancing in a performance, you're just doing it for yourself, you know? We're, we're about to take a right turn. Oh. It's a different topic. But sure. before, before we do, I wanted to ask you a question for singers yes. listening. What should a singer do if they want you to change tempo? Well, tell me in rehearsal. No, <laughs> in, in, a, in a performance. Wait, 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 no, his you, arm, I can, wave I can arms tell. Around. I can tell. Like if they if they're if they're not finishing their words quick enough, I got to move it along. If they're if they're if they're ahead, I you know they're, they're, you, you can just usually tell within a couple bars if they're, you know, and you, usually they don't. That doesn't it doesn't come to that. You don't use like a sophisticated uh, signal system of <laughs> flags hoisted on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, Morse I mean, code. yeah, you you just see the look of terror in their eyes, <laughs> and you see like oh, something's no going choreographed right. foot tapping. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you were talking about you know treating these operas as sacrosanct, and I don't think that ever happens with anyone as much as it happens with Wagner. Mm. Tell, oh, can, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about your current Wagner project out at Opera Southwest? Yeah, we're doing the uh, New Mexico premiere in March, uh, opening on March 31st on my birthday. A uh, new Wagner opera? Uh, of, of a new, no, the New. Are Mexico. you turning 32? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm turning 44. Oh. Um, <laughs> but we're doing uh, the New Mexico premiere of Lohengrin, never been done in New Mexico. And people look at me and they say, are you nuts? How can you possibly do Lohengrin? That is nuts, man. It's not <laughs> nuts, though. Because if you think about it, and I was, I was extracted to the, Well, first of all, I, I covered Lohengrin when I was, in a, um, a music, I was on the music staff at Dallas Opera in 2008. No, seven or eight, whatever it was. I think it was 2007. And we did Lohengrin. I fell in love with it. I, I'm, I'm hot and cold with Wagner. But Lohengrin, I think, is one of the greatest. Um, mm. It's one of the great... One of his, his, probably his best Italian opera, as I say. <laughs> um, it is such an Italian opera in so many yeah. ways. And when Liszt, so Liszt conducted the premiere at Weimar, and he was the music director there. He had 38 musicians in the orchestra pit. That's it. We know this historically. Really? We, ab we were, we're, with absolute certainty, we know this. We know that the guy who sang Lohengrin, I think it was 35, he was a baker. When he was done with this, <laughs> he just went back to baking. Uh, the original Elsa was 23 years old. The original Ortrud was 18 years oh old. Oh my God! 18 Jesus. Years. So, so yeah. Okay, it's it would, to do that now would be completely crazy. But, but yeah. is it crazy to think? Well, what would it sound like? You know, Liszt mm, would yeah. actually go around the country, you know, co different countries, playing Beethoven symphonies on a piano, sort of to to show off as a piano player, but also to bring Beethoven symphonies to cities that would not have otherwise mm -hmm. heard them. Now, of course, we can hear anything we want at the, you know, on on YouTube or whatever, but you can't just experience a live Wagner opera in Albuquerque. You know, even if you go to Met at the movies, it's not the same. So I I think. First of all, I so I wanted to recreate this this smaller orchestra. I wanted to think about it with a little bit differently with voices that were maybe more used to doing bel canto because of all of Wagner's favorite singers were bel canto. His, one of his favorite operas was Norma. He loved Bellini. 
Uh, and, and I think that the idea of Wagnerian singing certainly did not exist during Wagner's time. Uh, so, so that's something that we, that, that we have kind of come to later. So I, I, I'm really interested in how we can do this in a way that is maybe like very historically informed and, and maybe giving a different uh, uh, look into what Wagner would have heard. So they're not going to improvise ornaments. No, because <laughs> Wagner would not. You know, Va- I can. He so might don't, don't talk about Wagner ornaments because he went. He got. He went. He used to like would write like a mordant, and then he would like write it out specifically. Like he got so exacting with his notation by the time he got to Parsifal that you know there was just no room to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so Santa Fe has never done Lohengrin. It's the only other opera company in New Mexico. Right. They've never wow. done the only Wagner opera they've ever done is uh, Dutchman, which is another reason I want to do this because when I see an opera company doing Dutchman, this is not Santa Fe, but if I see a regional opera company doing Dutchman, all that says is, well, we we can't do Wagner. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. It's the, it's the uh, it's <laughs> opera it's the Wagner opera you do when you can't do Wagner. I yeah. think well if we have, if we if we have no business doing Wagner, we might as well have no business doing it with Lohengrin. Doing a good you know exactly. <laughs> I mean, Dutchman is a terrible <laughs> opera. It's boring. It's the dramaturgy is weird. It, it, I just I'm not a fan of Dutchman and Lohengrin <laughs> is the the last opera he wrote before. Before he started the ring cycle, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful work. Anthony Berezi, conductor and composer, is hanging out with us tonight on Opera Box Score. It's uh, America's Talk radio show about opera. A petition posted on change.org called End Application and Audition Fees for Opera Singers has gained over 5,300 signatures as of tonight. Who's in? That's coming up next, right around the corner. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us tonight on Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM, Full House, George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and our guest co-host, Anthony Bereze. So many dark-haired guys in this room. And me! <laughs> and one curly Jew. Right. Curly head, redhead Jew. I know. I Recessive right. gene pool. Yeah. Uh, Scottish. No, my red hair is yeah. from the ah. Scottish. Ah. Um, Part of me, quote, young sp- singers spend thousands of dollars on their education, perfecting their craft, many times working multiple jobs just to afford these application fees, and it is simply not right. And quote, that's part of the petition from or signed by the Young Operatic Artists of America, this petition on change.org, which has been circulating. I can't even remember who brought this to my attention. 
Now, was it Toby? Facebook? Was it you? Uh, it was one internet. of the 5,299 other <laughs> signatures on there. That's who brought it to your attention, George. Oh, this petition is breaking down barriers. I can't wait to solve this problem <laughs> in the next 20 minutes. Oh, no, I can tell that this segment's going to be bad. <laughs> so, so, Cummings, you, you've signed up. I haven't, actually. Neither have I, to be clear. But mostly because I just don't think it's going to do anything, because this is a petition. I see, man. That's what people said when they didn't vote for Hillary. No, I mean, like, the premise of of this specific petition doesn't make any sense. Well, uh, it is, It is. yeah. I mean, it is a change.org position. QI roll, because we're all at that point now. (laughs) But it it is, uh, I mean, I do think there is something to be said for, you know... It can be, you know, intimidating to see, like, oh, there are a bunch of signatures, and you know, the the petition is not going to change anything. the uh, The bubble up that might ha- that could theoretically happen around a popular petition on Change.org could, in theory, cause people to consider changing it. I, the initial petition was not ac- was actually uh, a call to boycott Agma. In order to get them to uh, demand. Well, so here's the flaw with that. Yeah, yes. a lot of these young Among artists many. programs. <laughs> exactly. It's it's not. They they actually published a kind of a uh, very embarrassing sort of rescindment. And oops. Um, <laughs> whoops. Uh, despite the firm belief that Agma should have control over this issue, it has been hurt, been determined that perhaps they do not. It's not a perhaps. They don't. No, they, they absolutely, absolutely don't. Well, don't. that's the like, thing. So a lot of these young ar- them. A lo- all of these young artist programs. <laughs> Or I would say the majority of them are not unionized contracts, and so are any it's. Of them? I mean, some of them are. You know, Central City is a union contract. That's an AGMA okay. contract. Okay. Um, there are some, but I mean, the majority of them are not. So taking it up with AGMA is not going to help it. And the other thing that I think is a flaw is that no opera company is operating with a surplus. Nobody's making money. They're not right. making money off yeah. of their ticket sales. They're not making money off of. Um, audition fees. So anything that they can do that will help their bottom line, that will give them any income, they're going to do. And if that is, quote unquote, the exploitation of young artists, then that's what they're going to have to do. And if it's a way of, of fair or not, weeding out um, potential applicants, then I think they're going to also do that. But then it becomes that. a... a, a then, then it becomes like about class. You know, then well, it, and that's, then I, that's the one argument here that I think is valid. Yeah. Is Absolutely. that, you know, there are many times, Maestro, that I don't apply to something because I simply can't, can't afford, afford it. it. Right. Yeah, so I don't you, have. Then you, so then we have, like, people who, like, rich and, and the poor. And it's just that, I mean, that's terrible. Yeah. Right? It if is. you've already made it through the whole four-year degree and maybe two-year master's right. program, like, yeah. that's that's a significant weed out to begin with. But then it's. It, it's twenty to seventy five dollars. Seventy, yeah, I per remember, application, and it really adds up. Uh, uh, oh God, yeah. Um, you're, then you be how many? How much would you say you've spent this year on this year on application fees for auditions that I did not get? So not applications fees for auditions that I did get. Sure. I spent over four hundred dollars, oh, and oof. this is I've done multiple young artist programs at reputable companies. Maestro, I've worked with you at Sarasota Opera, and. Mm-hmm. Not to totally discredit how good you are at your job, because I'm pretty piss poor at mine. But, <laughs> but once upon a time, our 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 paths crossed. Yeah, you were a fantastic chorus member number three. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I knew my text, and I knew where to did. put my S's in the Italian. Yeah, Itali- that's really all that matters, isn't it? No, but <laughs> the point is, like, I spent almost five hundred dollars to not and get. That's not, pl- that's not plane tickets. That's not. No, hotels. that's yeah. not. That's not for the pianist. That's not traveling. That's yeah. not. Anything. Dry cleaning your that suit, is getting your headshot, <laughs> getting that your is headshots, paying for recording. And, and that's what I paid for applications that all I got was a response was declined without 
audition. And these are fees explicitly for people who are in huge that are debt not, at from from music oh, school yeah. that who are, are not making much money, who are already balancing four jobs just to like you know survive. It's it's. But for these companies, it's a guaranteed stream of income. There are so many singers out there crazy? that if you know if one person backs out if 20 oh, people is. backs out it back out it really doesn't matter because there are 50 others ready well, to that that's i think that is the point with the i mean i i am as somebody who runs an apprentice program and who listens to these things i am spiritually very much uh in support of this however having said that there's a quote that kurt vonnegut was talking about the vietnam war and he said during the vietnam war every artist that that he knew got together and to protest it and they and they signed petitions and they did this and they did that and they did and they, they did everything he said and, and the the net effect was basically like of a limp banana cream pie falling <laughs> 10 yards <laughs> short of its target yeah. you know that and so that's kind of like like if, if even if you get 5000 people to sign this there's going to be 20000 people who I mean it, it's just the supply and demand is so lopsided there are more qualified singers now than ever before in history and there are fewer jobs and they're getting right. fewer -er. mm -hmm. um and that, that quote, I think, should just be, like, on the front page of change.org. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, this, this petition, I was, I was starting to say earlier, like, this, this is a petition to two organizations that really have no power at all. Right. Upper America is, like, more of a consortium than a governing body. Right. And AGMA mostly represents cor the choruses. Because when you're a freelancer, you don't have that much. You, you're you're not protected house, that yeah. much. Uh, depending depending on it depends on the house. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but on the whole, they, they don't have they don't have as much clout in to protect like each individual sure, person sure. and they're only going to protect people but who look, are union members apprentice programs in america i mean it's let's be, let's be honest they started to get cheap chorus yeah this is why this is why every mm. I mean, whatever i don't care what your administrators this is why they started and this is why they keep going and this is why you know, but, you know, you try and give apprentices, you know, the, the better companies try and give them other opportunities. But at, it, but at the end of the day, it is to help with the chorus and it's to basically cover roles so you don't have to pay, you know, someone tons of money to, to cover the roles. So like they, they, are, they have a function. And so they, by nature, they're going to be predatory. They, they, by mm -hmm. nature, they're going to be exploitive. So I, I but, but I, I cannot think of a reason why they need to charge money. I really can't. Other than, I mean, we, we do a, a, an annual gala at Opera Southwest, and we have an, an auction item, an, an auction section where you can you, know, you auction, you know, people bid on X, Y, or Z. And when we started bidding on, like, you know, would you like to fund the apprentice program? You know, you, you brought the apprentices up. They would sing, and they would, and people, we, we thought we'd raise, like, you know, $5,000. We raised, like, $19,000 the first year we did it oh, every nice. year it's been it's like doubled since then because people want to fund it so apprentices are one of those things that you know people donors don't like to fund oh you know give us money we're in a hole you know we gotta you gotta you gotta help us with our deficit they hate that they they want to <laughs> see something tangible that they uh, that they can give for and giving specifically for apprentices is one of the easiest ways to to, to raise money well they want to invest in something that has life and yes. potential and, and they want to say i remember future little Absolutely. blah 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 when when this person had done this role at you know at this company yeah it's opera box score on wnur 89.3 fm we're talking about this petition which is to end application and audition fees for opera singers anthony you said earlier that there's fewer jobs out there now and yeah. look the bottom line is that these young artist programs these are jobs. 
Yeah. Okay. This isn't like a gift or a privilege. This is work. This is yeah. jobs that we as artists do. If you were applying for some other job as a paralegal, let's say, is there an application fee I, I don't, to apply, like through so. Monster.com? I think I'm dating of... myself here, probably. Like, sorry, com. Indeed. It's called Indeed now, okay. right? Isn't yeah, that the, the, the cool thing? MySpace. Zip Recruiter. They oh, tell us God. from I mean, there, every podcast ad. There are, like, you know... Uh, uh, Competitions have fees, usually. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, the, that's because the there's like a prize question. to be won. You're right. essentially your application fee is going into <laughs> the pot. You might as well just play win. online poker, frankly. <laughs> if you're if you're Kino, yeah. If you're outside the world <laughs> if you're outside the world of the arts and you're expected to pay an application fee for a job, you are told that that is a scam and you should not <laughs> yeah, do it. That's right. that's no, like, but it's, all it's you need to do is get seven other your friends to also do this. <laughs> I mean, Once but, you get but, ten people below you, this is sort of a uh, like a pyramid scheme, isn't it? it yeah. If, no, it absolutely is. No, you but the thing is, that give you the money to go you to school. here first. Then, if I've ever mentioned an application fee to someone else who's outside of the business, they look at me like I'm certifiably mad. And you're and you're just like, no, this is a norm. Like right. you have to yeah. pay hundreds of dollars <laughs> to be told no. I forget uh, that sometimes when I'm talking to people who well, are be, not singers. Yeah, because you're inured to it, <laughs> Cummings. At this point, exactly. right? You're just like you just you know. They're everywhere. They're... You sign that check. And so Sorry, it, you it do that. It becomes the norm. Pay transfer. It becomes the norm, and so it is nice to see that there are people who are like, wait, why? You know what and I would like, like to see from the from the people proposing this change. Not necessarily a boycott. Their audition tapes? No, no, no. No, listen. (laughs) Not necessarily a boycott of the companies that charge fees for it, but rather we are all going to uh, apply for the the programs that don't charge the fees. They probably already do. Oh, do they? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, I that's mean, a good. I, I would love to see some like stats on this because I'd like to know how many companies require these kinds of fees and how many don't. What the percentages are. Right. Um, some sort of maybe more than an informal database of sure. who does what. I think would be very helpful for young artists and might be able to get them to a point where they might be able to create some leverage to fix the Absolutely. problem. Absolutely. Just saying, Opera Southwest does not charge a fee. Just saying <laughs> that. And we provide a piano player That's free good. of charge. Let me, let me ask this then. S- suppose, okay, you got to pay a fee to audition for Young Artist Program X, right? Suppose I'm a singer. I write to the contact person. I say, look, I'm really sorry. Um, I can't pay this. Too bad. Won't hear you. I mean, like, What's honestly- the response going to be, do you think? That's a great I think day. probably I would not have. You'll get a probably or you'll get nothing. Yeah, I was going to say you probably would get nothing. You'd get no response, you mean? Or they I would say tough. No, I think they wouldn't even respond. Yeah, yeah probably not. Hmm. I mean, they don't even respond sometimes when you do pay. So you know what I mean? like, <laughs> That's the, right. That's the problem. So <laughs> I'm trying to see here. Uh, I'm, I'm on Yap Tracker, Young mm-hmm. Artist Program Tracker, which is a I'm, subscription. It's a like subscri- the Santa <laughs> Tracker on, uh, on, on Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We, we pay, sing, young singers will pay for a yearly subscription to a website that will tell them all of the other places where they can pay. Well, you have to pay fees. to be on the UpTrack? Yeah. Yeah, oh dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to pay for everything. It makes no sense, Is there sense, anything you man. guys won't pay for? It's it makes amazing. no sense. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's I mean, but that's the it's price. You, uh, what do you do? If you don't pay for the fee, if you don't pay for the, I mean, how? Well, that's I, why I, I love when people rip on pay to sing programs. Like, oh, I'm not going to do a pay to sing program. It's like you just did four years, probably six years of a pay to sing program. It's called college. Yeah. And you're doing, <laughs> you, and you, it's like. The, the idea is, I mean, yes, th- that can be. That, that is, is that any worse than paying seventy five dollars to? I don't know. I, I do well, no, and actually, ever since I graduated from Northwestern, I've anybody who's talked to me like about grad school, I've honestly been like, you don't, don't need do it. it. Don't do it. Find a good teacher. Do learn a language. Don't go learn it. some roles. 
Right. Don't don't right. go to grad school. Nora Maria Callas got her graduate degree. She didn't exactly. Exactly, <laughs> and so that's been my new advice to people ever since I finished my master's degree with an insane amount of debt. Is don't go to grad school. Why would you go find a teacher? There's, there's I cannot think of one reason to. I mean, oh, this teacher I like. Okay, fine. Then study, study with, with the them teacher. privately. Right. Study okay. with the coach. So privately. Matthew, do we have any ideas about how we can? Go forward. Like, do we have any suggestions about what can be what done? What other change.org petitions in ter- should we in make? In terms of what can be done about application fees at this very juncture, right. they, they kind of, I mean, they, they kind of own the means of production right now. They're, right. They're, they're the only game in town. I, Your I option is to make art that is not, is to, is to have a day job and, and have a, right. a pet company. I think the best like, case scenario. Opera Memphis does yeah. not have an application. You know, how, you know how you would get this to actually work? You, if only tenors and basses did it, and if actually boycotted. <laughs> I guarantee you, if te- if every tenor and every bass, you, it, forget just basses, not even just tenors. <laughs> if only basses said they will not sing for any company that charges fee, I get tomorrow they would. I guarantee you, tomorrow they would. They would because what 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 like five thousand people sign this, probably four thousand nine hundred eighty of them are sopranos. Like yeah. it's it's just you, if you got the and and opera companies are in such desperate need of of bass voices. If every young bass did that tomorrow, Mark Scorker would be like, all right, we got to do something. I mean, that that's the reality. I right. do think that there is possibly, a, I think the best case scenario coming out of this uh, petition is not the amount of signatures and the petition itself. I think it's the potential that people who are donors, who are uh, subscribers, who, People who pay opera companies might see it and realize that this is even a thing, right? And, and, and they might be able to put pressure on, in theory, to. Well, it sounds it. like the thing is not really clear. It started, you said it started as a boycott. Now it right. seems to be like, well, we want to write a letter. We want we want these companies to hear us. And then now it sounds like really like, please hear us. You know, it was very. Yeah. You know, it just it seems like they're just shifting like what they and it, part of it sounds like they didn't have the right information to begin with because they're yeah. blaming Agma, which is ridiculous. But, but but it doesn't really sound like there there's a very clear goal here. The the only goal that the only positive thing they can come out is just general public donors, uh, consumers of opera seeing it and uh, and realizing that something is up and that they can put pressure on the companies yeah. to change it. And if there's one thing that can you know even if we don't get rid of fees, what what would be a good thing to happen is for the for more transparency to occur because you shouldn't be paying an audition fee for an audition that you're not going to get that's you that's shouldn't insane. be paying yeah. an application fee and then show up at the audition and be yeah. told that oh you need another $25 fee for this <laughs> pianist yeah and it's like excuse me what did what did that $75 that i paid you 2 weeks ago go to you shouldn't be paying an application it's fee it's like to going get to the red fair like to, there's $5 <laughs> here $5 there a big old turkey to get drum your leg. application processed and load up YouTube and see that they didn't watch any of your your videos, which happens all the time. We report, you decide. There's a link to the petition on our website, operaboxscore.com. Hey, there's also a new opera podcast in town. We take a listen. That's next on America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live. From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill. Plus, our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, 
Monday evening quarterback and crunching the numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. Internationally acclaimed mezzo-soprano Alice Coote, currently singing Prince Charming in Massenet's Saint-Jurant Lyric Opera, has penned a call to action for musicians to reject Brexit. Coote invited, invited fellow musicians to rally in Parliament Square, Westminster, London, today to sing Beethoven's Ode to Joy as loud as possible in German. Congratulations to countertenors Anthony Roth, Costanzo, Philippe Jarouski, tenor Karim Soleiman, and soprano Sabine Devier, as well as baritone Randall Scarlatta for nominations in the 61st Grammy Awards for solo vocal albums. A new opera podcast has debuted on QXR in New York City. Aria Code is a podcast that pulls back the curtain on some of the most famous arias in opera history with insight from the biggest voices of our time. In a preview for her Carnegie Hall recital, the New York Times describes Anna Netrebko as, quote, extra and dayglow in extremis in an article about the so-called Queen of the Metropolitan Opera. On Sunday, CBS's 60 Minutes profiled bass baritone Ryan Speedo Green. Speedo tells Scott Pelley how a fourth-grade teacher who showed him unconditional love, along with Denise Graves starring in the first opera he ever saw, changed the trajectory of his troubled youth and led him to be one of the most sought-after bass baritones singing today. Kudos to the team at Chicago Opera Theater, where music director Lydia Yankovskaya was named Musical America's new Artist of the Month. Executive director Doug, Doug Clayton was named one of Crane's 40 Under 40, and director of education Lyndon Crist was named one of Musical America's top 30 musical professionals of 2018. Baritone Takaoki Onishi is the winner of the Edward Rosen Memorial Grand Prize of the second annual premier Opera Foundation International Vocal Competition. The Japanese baritone also went home with the Dmitry Vorostovsky Memorial Career Grant. Speaking of which, the people of Krasnoyarsk in Siberia have voted to name their airport Dmitry Vorostovsky. The great baritone grew up in the city and returned there often. The airport is presently known as Yemelanilovo, or KJA, if you want that airport code. And on this day, December 10th, 2012, one of opera's most beautiful sopranos, Lisa Della Casa, died. It's the birthday of early music diva and Oliver Camacho mentor, Julianne Baird, as well as Italian baritone Sesto Bruscatini, who was born in 1919. Arturo Toscanini led the first performance of Puccini's La Fanciulla del West in 1910 at the Met. And in 1825, Boadieu's La Dame Blanche premiered at the Opera Comique in Paris. That is your two-minute drill. So that was Takaoki Onishi, 
in a recent competition, I think, that he probably won, uh, singing more Rossini. We got a big Rossini <laughs> theme going on today. Uh, Takaoke Onishi is a Ryan Opera Center alum and just won the second uh, premier opera competition, whatever, Ed Rosen Award. And I wanted to include that because uh, Ed Rosen, uh, for people of my generation, is sort of a hero of pirate recording. The greatest generation. Yes. <laughs> and uh, some of you may know of the Premier Opera website, which he started, where he hawks some of his <laughs> pirate his, recordings. His wares. Yeah, it. and he was once on Opera Now podcast as a guest playing some of his favorite from his, his extensive, extensive collection. And it's nice that this competition... Uh, honors Ed Rosen. I think um, the Premier Opera Foundation was started uh, right after Ed Rosen died. So, the Brexit might be the most uh, consequential political event since the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Iron Curtain, guys. And British singers can't can't sing anywhere anymore, <laughs> according to Alice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's going to certainly be a lot more complicated. I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a uh, it's a real mess over there. Um, especially since a pickle, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's <laughs> it's it's interestingly symbolic to do you know Ode to Joy because you know not only is that um, uh, uh, Beethoven great composer blah blah blah, uh, you've got uh, I believe it is also actually the sort of anthem of the European it Union. It is. Dude, everybody knew that, Weston. <laughs> hello. I'm just hitting you with like the, the cool facts for the for the folks at home who might not. And know. it worked. They had to postpone the vote today. It was all thanks to this program. <laughs> it did pro. it. They did right, it. Right, they did it. Opera singers. <laughs> Alice See, Coote, this this is how you get things done. Not with change.org petitions. Take but with that, this. Norman LeBret. <laughs> <laughs> but you had oh. to pay to be part of that rally today. Oh, yeah? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, you know, it, doesn't, it wouldn't surprise there me. There are application fees for that. So in addition to the five uh, Grammy nominees we mentioned, we also can talk about the complete opera recording category, which yeah. includes uh, oh, yeah. the John Adams' Dr. Atomic. Mm. Uh, That's the, my pick for is the that, Is that the, for the Santa Fe? Yes, the Santa Fe production. Mm -hmm. uh, the Met Opera's uh, Rosenkobler with the farewell performance of Renee Fleming as the Marshallin. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Rigoletto, Rigoletto with Dmitry Borostovsky. I think that's like a posthumous nod in Nadine yep. Sierra. And Mason Bates. Friend of the show. Yeah, Mason Bates' The Revolution of Steve Jobs. Uh, I will say maybe uh, Michael Christie, who was the conductor on the. Uh, he's a conductor of one of them. I think probably. Revolution though. of Steve yeah. Jobs. Yes. Maybe they're going to win because, you know, he just got that extra bump from being on Opera Box score. Oh, yeah. Well, oh. That, that's going to do it. Probably. That would be dope. Mm -hmm. if, oh, and Nadine Sierra conductor. won't win because she didn't get the Opera Box score bump. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, you'd be two-timing her, though, at this point, man. Cause you hey, me and that. Eileen Perez, we got that locked down. Don't tell <laughs> Joanna Parisi. We should have her on You're the show. You would triple she timing be, somebody? Would she be she a good would, guest? Oh, you could, she would be a wonderful guest. Yeah. Who? Uh, Joanna, Joanna Parisi, Parisi. She's going to be in your upcoming production of Lone Green. Well, we're going to say we're going to say it right now. If uh, if you don't get on our show uh, next week, you're going to lose the Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you can get on Aria Code. Uh, so Aria Code. Oh right, is yeah. A what a segue! I know. That was an That's amazing segue. Oh. Creative consultant. I'll be paying the big um, bucks. Oh, it's so. like Aria Code. I get it. <laughs> So Aria Code is a brand new <laughs> podcast that is being produced by WQXR and the Met Opera and features a MacArthur Genius Grant Award winner. So just uh, like our podcast yeah, is what you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> Guys, I told you not to mention that. Just you <laughs> wait. <laughs> All in good time for me. They've only signed up for 10 episodes, so who knows if they'll get renewed. But the first episode is a deep dive into mm. um, A Force Louis uh, and Sempre Libera uh, with Diana Damrau, Corey Ellison, the dramaturg of the Met. And, and of many other places. Just uh, very um, recently also named the dramaturg of uh, Santa Fe Opera. 
Yeah. Is ah. she the drummer, drummer trick of the Met? I no, feel like she's Co- not. She Corey was Ellison is not. Okay, no, she was. And, uh, but probably personally responsible for my entire A body group. worker, a sex worker, a call girl. What some other escort? Person. I think escort, is the yeah. term. So she this used. is super fast. No, not Corey Ellison. No, no, <laughs> no God no. The third, the third. Let's clarify here. So I should have known. I should know the name of the call phone lines are lighting up girl. now. Wow. <laughs> but um, Corey, no, it's I'm a super thing. So it's course, like a thirty-minute. Her name is Dr. Brooke Magnanti. So she's a doctor. Yeah. So it's a thirty-minute podcast, and like the last ten minutes of it is just listening to a complete performance of the aria that they're dissecting. But the first twenty minutes is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a really well produced, uh, really nice. You know, it's not like ours where we kind of talk over each other uh, uh, all the time. Well, it's more of a one woman show. But but you know, yeah. it it is it is a uh, it's definitely one to check out and uh, um, extend your opera podcast reach and uh, see. Now get this all is where I'm worried. Do we really need to promote other opera podcasts? <laughs> is the world Moving big on. enough for two? I'm kidding. Well, the man the man is kidding. But right, kidding aside, doesn't it feel like propaganda when you listen to it. I mean, it's Met propaganda is what it well, is. That's what opera <laughs> news is. Yeah, well, no, exactly, exactly. So this is just I don't the, know. The, George, ar- I thought it was the aural wing of Met propaganda. It's so well done, though, and so informative. Like, it's on a pretty deep level that I don't know. I didn't feel like it was propaganda. And I feel like we're all trying to just figure out how to take advantage of new media right. and to engage with audiences. And I think this is a really great result of pr- some of that experimentation. And, I, and they picked really well. They picked a really smart person to put it together. Yeah. And she's really engaging. And she's not like an opera person. She like plays the banjo. That is like, true. Yeah. So, but studied I, opera and knows about it and isn't just mm. isn't just like babbling on right. nonsensically. Yeah, like mm, not like, like me. us. Like, <laughs> 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 Speaking of uh, uh, babbling nonsensically on it, Trevco. <laughs> There's the segue. I was going to go so for it, but you, you this stole This was an article right in the New York Times that came out in advance of her Carnegie Hall recital, which was the exact same recital she gave in Chicago first. They're always testing things out in Chicago before they take them to the big city. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's sort of like a love letter to Anna Trepko and all her craziness. And with it, with an Instagram story attached. Yeah. And I mean, and there's also videos of like what she was like when she was young and talking about some of her missteps, like with her politics and just keep your mouth shut and sing type of thing, you know. But I, I think it's really nice that like we do have an opera personality in this day and age that can actually merit such a story. And it's really entertaining to follow her. I'm not a huge fan of her artistry, but I do think that she is a personality that we need in this business. Well, Ever you really enjoyed the recital that she I gave did. in Chicago. It was, ve- it was very extra. It was very day-glow. You know? <laughs> I would expect nothing less. How uh, did it compare uh, to her performance in Princess Diaries 2? <laughs> that, that Wait, what? She, she, was she, is, she, is, she oh performs at the garden party in Absolutely Princess Diaries 2. Yeah. Like 25-year-old. Can I admit that I didn't know there was a Princess Diaries 2? You can, can I admit but, I, I, but, I, I, but you're moving out. Oh, it's a great movie. I have no idea what any of you were talking about. You guys are all just so culturally behind me and Matt. Uh it's 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 a it's the weirdest cameo. I would. I are we really dedicating our time to this? <laughs> well, then the next the next podcast is going to be a Princess Diaries two fan cast, and we're just going to like nail it. It's going to be great. Let's move on the to the MacArthur other junior genius award winner. <laughs> it's my application to the foundation. <laughs> so Ryan Speedo Green. Speaking of personalities that can get on national scale, <sighs> Ryan. I love yeah. Ryan Speedo Green. Oh, he's great. He's a, an amazing singer. He's black. If you didn't know. Uh, he's a bass baritone, which is almost as rare as being black in opera. True. And uh, he had a really troubled youth, mm-hmm. and he talks about it very openly. He wrote a biography, and uh, they did a story on 60 Minutes of him. And like it's like a 50-minute feature, and it talks about— I think about, you mean it's a 60-minute feature. 
on on sixty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's a fifteen minute segment on sixty oh, minutes. Oh, I see, I see, I see. I see. And yeah, and he's interviewed by Scott <laughs> Pelley, and like it's on the same episode that they interview like Elon Musk of Tesla. You know. Yeah. So good, oh, wow. good job, Ryan Speedo Green's PR person. Yeah, for that getting guy's that. phone is lighting up today. Yeah. I know. Well, look, cre- credit where credit is due, right? In the in the pre-show meeting this evening, I said to Oliver, "Look, two minute drill. It's too long. We got to cut this story. Let's cut this thing on Ryan Speedo Green. We talked about the guy so much, and Oliver, to your credit, you advocated for him. You said, "No, look, it's a big deal that an opera singer." of all people, has that much prominence and has that yeah. much exposure. Yeah. It's in the same camp as Anna Trepko. Do I like Anna Trepko as a person? Not particularly. As a musician, not particularly. But, yeah, I was an assistant to the director oh. drink. years ago. <laughs> Everybody take assistant a drink. to the regional manager. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, Oliver's got a good point. It's like this is a big deal that this guy could come from nothing. I mean, he was in juvenile hall for some years to, and however many years it's taken from writing a book, NPR, mm-hmm. 60 minutes. But I mean, he didn't pay application fees. Like, you know, like he um, was, he, oh. he went to music uh, music school and he got into programs like right away. And well, they didn't, was, I mean, pro- well, how old is he now? He's like he's thir- 32, I oh, think they well, said. No, he he, gets, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he won the, the National Council. So he just, he went yeah. from... Yeah. Boom to boom. Yeah. 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 He went from juvie to the Met. <laughs> <laughs> My God. You know. Because that's that how desperate we are for bases. <laughs> See, this is, this is why you don't have to worry about talent, right? If I don't know if talent exists or not, but let's assume that talent exists. You either have it or you don't. So you don't have to worry about it. But he tells some really beautiful stories about how, like, he went to the opera for the first time. His mentor took him, and he saw Carmen, and he saw Denise Graves. Oh, that's and awesome. he was like... Oh, I didn't know that there are black people in opera, and she was amazing, you know. And she's like dancing on stage, and she's like owning it. And he's like, I want to do that. And he told his mentor when he was still like in high school, I want to. I know what I want to do with my life. I want to be an opera singer. And his his teacher at the time didn't say that will never happen for you. He says, if you want to do that, you have to graduate high school. You have to go mm. to college and study music. Yeah. You probably have to get your master's in music. You probably have to learn languages. You have to, you know, right. do all these things. And he did it. And he was really misguided and didn't have a lot of. Uh, you know, parenting, and he figured out a way to do all those things. Exactly. See, that has nothing to do with talent. That has everything to do with work ethic and great mentorship. Yeah, and it, it's it's a really He's sort of too, so. extraordinary. Story That's my point. That, His talent know. is innate. That was the talent was not a learned skill. What he you had to learn to, was sorry, the George, work uh, ethic. Singing is not something you just wake up and you do. I mean, I don't know what. But you that's do. what George is saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying he has a phenomenal, he had innate talent and he had a phenomenal work ethic okay. to get so where he is today. I think we're confusing things. There's talent and there's skill. Exactly. So skill oh. is something you have to work yes. on. Yes. Talent yes. is something you're born with. Yes. That's exactly right. It was really just, uh, it, it, this is one of the reasons I think, you know, going back to the application fees, uh, you need to eliminate those sorts of barriers to allow these kinds of people to really, who really want to contribute something artistically to the world who would not be able to afford it, would not be able to have these opportunities. We need to remove those barriers to them in order to have more stories like this, more success stories, more progress artistically and and socially. That's what it's about. Hey, uh, Toby, how many airports in the world were named after opera singers before Vorostovsky? (laughs) Zero. Wow. But now we got one. Um, <laughs> We're on the board. Next one, Anna Netrebko International <laughs> Airport. No, but it's kind I'm of funny. I'm going to fly into Anna Netrebko. It's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, okay. Hashtag oh, me, guys. too. 
Um, okay, no, but it's kind of funny when you start thinking about airports named after people. Like, there's some really weird ones out there. And as far as musicians, there's, like, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, there's that, a, that in New Orleans. Yeah, that's sure. New Orleans. That makes sense. Bush there's, Intercontinental. That's not a musician. He's not a musician. There's a Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in Austria. Salzburg? Yeah. And then there's, now we have, well, we will soon have the Horostovsky. Yeah. Yeah. Someday soon, Matthew... Lang Cummings Airport. That'll be, that'll be the one. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in Squirrel Hill. Pittsburgh's airport doesn't have a name yet. It could be me, <laughs> native son over here. Does there you go. It doesn't have a name. You were Fred it? Rogers. It's just, no, it's just Pittsburgh International. It's going airport. to be named after famed uh, Princess Diaries two podcast host Matt Cummings. It's, it's going to be Mike Tomlin Regional <laughs> airport, airport is what it's going to be. <laughs> That's not. It's uh, crazy. Yemel Yanovo is the current name. I I think it's definitely a bump up from Yemel Yanovo. I can't you even can't say even it. say it. Dude. Uh, <laughs> you just—I mean, seriously. I think it's—you know—it's—it's it's kind of weird conceptually to name a, a an airport after an opera singer, but you know, Not he's such a great like, really R.I.P. You know, pour one out the whole whole nine yards. I mean, I I, I do generally <laughs> miss his presence on the stage, and I think it's great to have some sort of recognition uh, outside of the purely operatic world and in the world of bustling air travel. So I think that's a a great thing. Uh, name more airports after opera singers. That's my major takeaway from this story. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Man, this, this place was like a butcher shop tonight. Just in what sausage <laughs> everywhere. Oh, okay. All Anthony right. Berese, thanks so much for hanging out with us thanks this for, evening, uh, man. Right, I've, I've got a couple things I want to recommend to yeah. my, our dear oh. audience. First of all, I just saw um, the Cendrillon at Lyric uh, oh, this weekend. Was it? it was incredible. I've heard it's uh, amazing. It's yeah. such a smart production. The costumes are amazing. It's funny. It's very engaging. It's a little bit long in the tooth musically. I don't, I don't think that Massenet really had a good idea about form. But if you what? can overlook that. No, it's really you loose. Heard it's, it's really loose. Um, <laughs> but it's so, I mean, the cast is top notch. But I have to give special mention to the coloratura soprano from Canada, Marie Eve uh, Munger singing The Fairy Godmother. She literally steals the show mm. and she looks like Charlize Theron in a perfume ad. She's gorgeous. Can I make a plug for the January 11th performance being conducted by, by my Francesca friend, Miliotto, Francesca yeah. Miliotto. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it's uh, right now they're on break at Lyric and they come back in January and the first performance of the season is um, is Sandrion conducted by a local uh, composer, conductor here in Chicago who's like, taken his lumps and is finally getting his big opportunity at the yep. Lyric. Great, great conductor. He's a great guy. I also want to highlight that there's something that's really fun to do on Facebook. Besides lobbying Tony to get back, get on, back Facebook. on Facebook. back on Facebook, Maestro. That's Toby's nope. good call. Um, there, there is a, a harpist uh, who plays at the Met. His name is Emmanuel Saison, and you can follow him on Facebook. He makes the most hilarious Facebook videos from the pit of that's the Met. That's awesome. And he's adorable. I want to marry you. <laughs> also coming up this weekend is La Traviata and Live in HD from the Met with Juan Diego Flores playing against oh, right. Type and yes. Deanna Damrau in the Yanni, conducted by Yannick Nezek Sagan. And there'll be no glasses thrown into the pit. No, no glasses <laughs> thrown <laughs> downstage. Yeah. That's you, know, it. you know where Yannick made his American debut conducting? Opera Southwest? Nope. Oh. A Sarasota Opera. Oh, nice. My first season there was his first season. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Dang, man. He is two weeks older than me. Mm. 
Well, he looks much better than you. Yeah, yeah, he does more push-ups. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is John Williams. No, not that John Williams. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra with opera statistics from operabase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. For co-hosts Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and our guest, Anthony Bereze, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera with one eye on the monsters of the Midway when they take on the hated Packers this Sunday. We're back on Monday, December 17, 9 p.m. Central, for the best of 2018 Christmas special, plus more opera headlines and hot takes. Join us. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment. <laughs>